0: That America and the church are in need of a moral compass based on the standard of the Word. See, I got my little compass here. I got my little compass as a reminder that we discussed that last week of how <clears throat> we've allowed ourselves to lose our moral standard. And, and uh, if you remember the numbers that I produced to you, uh, 49% of people who say they're born again see no problem with living together prior to marriage and. And 35% of people that say they're born-again Christians have no problem with premarital sex, and that 33% condone and accept and promote abortion, and 28% think there's nothing wrong with pornography. And uh, that's what sparked this sermon series for me. Um, so, so today, we're going to topic, topically cover uh, what three of those statistics uh, threw up in my face, is the fact that the church has begun to take on the mentality and the mindset of the world when it comes to morality in light of sexual morality. What is moral? What's immoral? And and they will tell you that there is no right or wrong. There is no clear evidence. Some people will say this is right. Some people will say that's right. And and today, as as your pastor, and and, and in the weeks to come, we're going to cover a lot of these topics, just basically uh, saying what the Word of God has to say. Now, this morning... This message, I, <laughs> I shared with Stanley this morning, I said, uh, uh, our, our response following the first service was everybody just kind of stood there and held on to the pews. Nobody even came to the altars. Don't worry about it. That's okay. Uh, as I spoke this message, that God's opened doors for me to teach it at camp. I've taught it at camp several times. I've taught it at a guy's purity retreat with about 150 guys or so. And out of the 150 guys, 13 responded to the altar call. Okay? That's Okay? Uh, if if you preach for any length of time, you have to get to a point to where you understand that your preaching is not a stamp of approval based upon how strong your altar call is. Uh, the fact of the matter is, what's happened is, is even at camp this year, over the last few years, I've had innumerable young men come up to me and uh, even adult men that say, "Wow, if I would have heard this years ago, my life would have been different." Uh, this year at camp, I had a kid come up to me during prayer time before service, and he saw me, and I didn't even know the kid. He just came up and he said, Pastor Bob. I said, yeah. He said, I was at uh, Uncommon Valor Guys Purity Retreat. And uh, he said, it's been over a year ago now. He said, uh, man, he said, I just want you to know that the truth that you spoke into my life has changed my life. He said, I was stuck and in, in, uh, heavily addicted to pornography. And he said, it's, it's absolutely changed my life and how I look at things. And he said, I just felt like I needed to stop and tell you that thank you because I, my life has changed from what you spoke into my life. So this morning, I'm not overly concerned about everybody responding to altar calls. But what I do want you to hear is truth today. Um, I I warned you, we're going to be talking about sex this morning. Uh, I know grandparents and and some of our seniors, little Maxine told me they almost didn't come because they said they know everything about there is to know about it. (laughs) I told her, I said, if I teach you anything you didn't already know, make sure you tell me. But listen, grandparents, in all seriousness, listen to me. You you are at the pinnacle of leadership in your family. Okay, This is an important message to you. If you have children and grandchildren, they will listen to you. And you know as well as I do that there are times when grandparents will get the talks that the parents aren't going to get from their children. So grandparents, I want you to listen close this morning, and I want you to take what's said and apply it to your life. The things that, that I'm going to share from this pulpit today are not things that I've learned from a book. They're not things that anybody taught me. My whole life growing up, what I was told was in, in church basically was that sex was bad and it was wrong. But folks, it's not bad and it's not wrong. It's bad and wrong when it's taken out of context. And, and I always struggled with the whole thing about why, what's, what's so wrong with it? Why is it wrong? And the world even says, why is it wrong? And It's a question the church has not been answering. And, and I was in my prayer time a couple of years, three years ago, and, uh, and God just began to speak things to me that, that I didn't know that nobody else knew. And I started sharing it at places, and I had ministers, seasoned ministers come up and say, I've never heard that, taught that way before, but it's truth. So this morning, I want you to take what's said, I want you to write it down, I want you to, to, to keep it, I want you to place it in your head, because it's going to make a ton of sense eventually. Parents, this is for you. You have teenagers and children in your home. And, and our culture are the ones that have been setting up and establishing the standard for them to live by as it relates to sex. And it's time for the parents to be able to step up and to have some uncomfortable conversations with your kids. Because parents say, well, I don't really want to talk about it. It's uncomfortable. The kids don't want to listen to me. They probably already know more about it than I do anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you want to know what they know about it? The mechanics, and that's it. They know the mechanics of sex. They go to school and the teachers say, well, the little sperm meets the egg, and ooh, look, there pops a baby. You know, and that's all they know. That's it. But it is time for the church to step up and teach it. You say, why? Well, church people say, well, the church really shouldn't be talking about sex in church, Pastor Bob. It's wrong. It's wrong. It makes it You want to know why it makes you uncomfortable? It don't make you uncomfortable anywhere else. Sitting in the break room at work, hearing the jokes that you hear and you... <laughs> not uncomfortable then, are we? We're not uncomfortable when we turn on the television, ladies, and it's the middle of the day and we're watching our daily soap. We're not uncomfortable then. Oh my goodness, he's already stepping on our toes. We're not even starting to point one. We're not uncomfortable when we open up that romance novel, are we? Gentlemen, we're not uncomfortable when nobody's around and we're surfing the Internet but we get uncomfortable in church. You want to know why? Because cockroaches scatter when lights are turned on. Amen? Amen? You want to know the truth this morning, I'm going to flip a light on in our lives, and it may be a little bit uncomfortable, but if you will respond to it and you'll hear it, I promise you it will change your life. You see... The church has made excuses for way too long. And they've used discretion as an excuse. Pastor Bob, you can't say those things. You can't talk about that topic. We're the church. We need to be dignified and discreet our discretion you want to hear what our discretion has brought us you want to hear what the discretion has brought on the church not only is it the 49 percent and the 35 percent but listen to this eight out of 10 primetime tv shows contain sexual subjective content averaging six scenes per hour yeah but we need to be discreet in church pastor bob we can't talk about this stuff in church. Porn industry is 70 billion. It's a 70 billion dollar industry worldwide. 4.2 million websites offer adult content. 25 million Americans visit cybersex sites between 1 to 10 hours per week. 4.7 million do it in excess of 11 hours per week, and 45% of those people are women. That just blew everybody's mind, didn't it? Well, pornography's a man problem. My man's a disgusting pervert. Well, 45% of the women are too. Okay? Listen, you say, well, 45, percent what are you talking about the women? About three years ago, I was uh, two years, three, I don't remember how long ago it was. We were in Chicago, we took a day trip, went up to Shedd's Aquarium, pretty cool, I encourage you to go see. Oh, and go up to the Sears Tower. It's not the Sears Tower anymore, but there's a little glass thing you step out on. Freaks you out, but anyway. Where was I? Oh, yeah, we come back from Chicago. And on the way back from Chicago, all you guys, the dads in the room, know what I'm talking about. You're coming back from somewhere, and everybody's asleep, and I'm, and I'm driving. So what do you do? Of course, you turn on talk radio, so it keeps you awake. So I don't even know what station I was listening to. I turn it on, and I hear they're talking about uh, pornography. They're talking about morality and all this stuff. It wasn't even a Christian station. And this, this guy who was part of the porn industry said, listen. He said, we've recognized that there's a large percentage of the population that we were missing by the way we were producing pornography. He said, we were producing it in such a way, knowing that men are visually attracted, uh, they're not interested in the storylines and stuff, so all of our movies and videos and things were just the deed itself, so we didn't have a whole lot of in-depth stuff. Well, a lot of the women through the porn industry got up and got in some power and said, hey, you know what? Why don't we start producing some of this stuff for women? So what they did is they added a very deep uh, line, some uh, storyline, some better acting and things of that nature. So basically what it became was is like a soap opera with the intense sex scenes, so that they were doing this as a good thing so that husbands and wives can experience this wonderful thing together. Church, it's not time for the church to be discreet any longer. It's not time for us to set back and allow our culture and our communities and our schools to teach our kids the mechanics of sex alone. It's time for them to learn uh, learn the truth in Harvard. In Harvard, now remember, Harvard is the university that produces all of our polit- political leaders, presidents, uh, all you know, people in our communities, our lawyers. Harvard has got its own uh, its own student-run porn magazine that they produce regularly. And they also have the professors teaching sex education classes where as a project they send their kids, the students, uh, young adults out to make pornographic movies together and submit that as their class activity. Not only that, these teachers will also have orgies together with their students regularly. Because it's sex education, of course. You see, my friends, we've, we've learned we've learned the mechanics. And we've ignored the truth. So the church has got to, to get back into the reality of teaching the truth. And parents have got to be able to take and grab a hold of the seriousness of what this is. I'll share, you with, I'll share this with you. Uh, I've got four points this morning. I'm going to try to hit them as quick as I can. But um, number one... Living a life that is sexually immoral will not end well. It's not going to end well, and I'm not just talking about pregnancies. In our schools right now will teach our our children if if you use safe sex, if it's safe sex, and nobody gets pregnant, there's no harm, no foul, everything's fine, it's okay. But not according to the word of God, Proverbs fourteen twelve. the verse we've been referring to and will continue to refer to, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. And here's the frightening thing about it, is to live my life the way that seemed right all of my entire life and get to the end and realize it leads to death. You want to hear the end? Revelation 21, it says this, he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the living water. He who overcomes will inherit all this and I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Friends, that's not a joke. That's not a lie. That's not something that's watered down and, and soft and sugar coated. It leads to death. You say, why why are you being so... Because I'm sick and tired of parents that because they feel guilty about their past that they rationalize their children's sin. Just because you did it, mom and dad, doesn't mean your kids have to do it. It's a heaven and hell issue. Could you throw that verse back up there for me, Travis, so we can just keep looking at it? It's a heaven and hell issue. To get to the end of our life, this is not a game. It's not something where society says it's just okay and it's all fine. Sexually immoral people will go to hell, according to Revelation 21. But yet, we in the church, 49% of us think it's okay. Why? Because we look at God and we, 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 we take His grace and we take His mercy and we use that as a license to sin. And we say, it's okay, it doesn't really matter. God's going to love me because I prayed a prayer one time and if I live this way, it's okay. My friend, if you're living that way and you've made a way and you think it's okay to do it, it says it right there, right among the liars, right among the unbelieving and the cowardly and the murderers. They put the sexually immoral next to the murderer. Now you tell me, is it Okay. The book of Hebrews makes a reference to Esau. You say, why, why is this such a big deal? Why is it so hard? We see a difference here in that passage of Scripture between the people that come and drink from the water of life, those that thirst after righteousness, versus those that thirst after the things of the world. So they rationalize the things of the world so they can pretend like they have some thirst for righteousness, and yet they're holding on to sexual lust and immorality and perversions and adulteries and everything else on this hand, and they're embracing it as much as they can, and they keep wanting to imagine and imagine and imagine that they're still holding on to some form of righteousness. Sin has got to cease if we are saved. Isn't this warm and fuzzy? I promise it'll lighten up a little bit here in a little bit. In a little bit. It's going to take a while, but we'll get there. Why am I still standing like this? <laughs> oh, yeah. Hebrews. Listen to this. Hebrews twelve sixteen. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit his blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. And those of you that know the story of Jacob and Esau know that there had nothing to do with sex in any of it. Esau comes from the field. He's been hunting. I'm hungry. I'm dying of starvation. Jacob, I wish you could fix me some lentil soup. So he fixes him some lentil soup. And he says, and he sells his birthright for a little soup. If I don't eat, I'm going to die of starvation. Now, he wasn't going to die of starvation. He, he, I'm sure he wasn't going to die that minute. He's walking. People before they die of starvation is laying on a bed going, I want food. I'm dying of starvation. The fact of the matter is, and what they're saying in Hebrews is very simple. He sold his birthright for a momentary pleasure. And he compares that to the sexually immoral. They throw away an eternal gift from God for a moment of pleasure. And he says they're godless. Teenage girl, sweetheart, young man, your virginity is a gift from God. Don't sell it for nothing. Don't throw it out the window. And parents, as I say that to teenagers, you hear that and you reiterate that to your children over and over and over and over and over and over. over. Why? Because the world will tell them the opposite over and over and over and over and over. You've got to fight for your kids. Don't you sell out. Don't you let some punk sweetheart come up and and smooth talk you enough to steal what God has given you for your spouse. It's not okay to just live together. It's not okay. It's not okay just to play marriage and play like it's okay. Listen, my friends, there's more extensive and serious consequences than just diseases like they teach at school or early pregnancy like they teach at school. There's a it's a heaven and hell issue. I just wanted to be warm and fuzzy. So that's point number 1. <laughs> So now the big question, how do you define what is moral and immoral? How do we gain a true north in our moral compass as it relates to our sexuality? If you turn to Genesis chapter one, we're gonna be in verse 26 here in a second. I'm gonna try to be done by our time, but you're just gonna have to bear with me if I'm not. This has gotta be spoken. Spoken. The first reason, and and it's not the most important reason that God created sex, but the first reason that's just got to be out there and out of the way is the most obvious, is for procreation. The first fence, I'm giving you three fences here. And if you go outside of any of these three fences, you're outside the boundaries that God has created. And the first fence is procreation, Genesis chapter 1. Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So first and foremost, In light of procreation, we have to realize that God created man on a higher level than the animals. You say, that has very little to do with sex, Pastor Bob. Well, yeah, it says God blessed them. He blessed them. Listen, our sexuality, our reproductive system is a blessing. It's a blessing. And he told them to be fruitful. And he told them to fill the earth. But there's something else that he added in there that I wish Peter would read. To rule over the fish of the sea and the animals. I, PETA, I just want to, Lord, I won't even say it because I'll lose my salvation. Wish I was Baptist sometimes. <laughs> it's a joke. It's a bad joke, folks. I, these individuals, I, I read in an article a couple years ago this, 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 I won't call him a name, I, this guy. He wrote in this article, he said, I believe there's going to be a time, and I'm sure he had this kind of a voice. I'm just sure he did. I believe there's a time when animals are going to take humans to court. <laughs> You're an idiot. That's all I had to say. What, what a dog. Okay, the dog, you've not been feeding the dog every day, so he gets mad, so I'm taking to court. Woof, 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 woof. Woof. <laughs> and he goes to court and turns in a circle and pees on the floor. Woof. <laughs> what are you going to do? Object that? What's he saying? I, you can't take, an animal can't take a human to court. And if people, PETA people say, well, you don't love animals. I love animals. I think they taste great. <laughs> Especially cattle. I think cattle tastes really good. It's my favorite. And a chicken occasionally. And even some pork, bless God. My thing is, is, is folks, we live on a higher plane than the animals. I, li- I grew up on a farm with cattle. Okay? I learned some things from the cattle. I learned when I was like six, seven years old, mom and dad took me out and said, you need to watch a a baby cow get birthed. So I said, okay. So I went and I watched the cow and I was like, (laughs) and as the the process takes a while, you know, and you're just kind of watching. And and so when the little cow falls out on the ground, you know, and, and then this is, now bear with me. I'm gonna use some foolishness to bring some wisdom to us today. The cow, you know what the mama cow did? She turned around and started licking, clean up that nasty cow. Listen, we are not on the same plane as animals, folks. I don't care. There is no comparison between a human being and a cow. I love my wife dearly. I love my baby girl dearly. But I thank God that when my baby girl was born, April and have go, (laughs) I'd have never kissed her again. Never. Ever would I have ever kissed her again. Another thing I learned about cattle Cattle, after they have the baby calf, baby calf gets big enough, stand up, and drink the mother's milk, and it goes potty, okay? That's what it does. And the mother, because it loves its baby calf, protects it by eating the the cow's droppings so that predators don't smell the droppings. Dad explained, well, the predators come out and drink the droppings, so the droppings are there. He taught me that, and the mama cow eat the droppings so predators won't get it. You know why else she eats it? Because the baby's been drinking milk, and it's full of milk stuff, and it tastes good. There's a separation between us and cows, folks. (laughs) There is nothing alike and similar when it comes to cattle and us. I have seen cattle stand in a creek and drink out of the same water that is going to the restroom in. There's a separation between us and animals. Folks, what you say, why are you saying all this? Because it's the same ignorant stupidity that drives us back that says, well, Pastor Bob, they teach us at school that, that monkeys and, and cows and, and dogs all have this instinct to reproduce and they can't control themselves. When that nature hits them, they have to reproduce. Aren't we the same way? No, we're not. We have a mind. We've been made in the image of God. We've got a uh, conscience and understanding that we don't just procreate with anything and everything that walks by. Thank God for reason. Because our schools and our society is not teaching that. They're not told to teach it. It's not in the books. All they teach are the mechanics. And the mechanics are the same. Well, Pastor Bob, you can't talk about sex in church. Well, people aren't offended when we start talking about the reproduction of flowers. Well, that's not. that's not... Inappropriate. Well, nobody gets offended. You start talking about breeding cattle and and breeding sheep and breeding horses and all this stuff. Nobody gets offended by all that. Well, that's not perverted. That's natural. You're exactly right. And we've taken something that's natural that God made to be beautiful as a blessing and we've perverted it. That's why we're uncomfortable. That's why the church has been discreet about the issue. You say, well, procreation, what? This fence of procreation, what if we live outside of it? It's very simple. We'll start applying these things as quickly as we can. Procreation, if if you're if you're whatever you're doing sexually, activity-wise, is outside of the fence. If you can't procreate by doing it, it's probably wrong. Pornography accompanied with masturbation. Yes, I said masturbation. People deal with it, they do it, deal with it, go on and live your life. Trust me, it's going on. Pornography accompanied by masturbation, you cannot procreate. It's wrong. Homosexuality? Are we getting the picture now? You can't procreate. It's outside of that fence. Fence number one procreation. And you and I are not called to procreate like animals. We're called to procreate with a mind and an understanding. In our next point, secondly, a blood covenant, which is the most important. God created sex for mankind to have a blood covenant. Relationship where the two become one flesh. Genesis chapter twenty four we see an account with Isaac, his father Abraham, had many sons. But really only had two. <laughs> I never got that song. But anyway. Genesis twenty-four, Isaac, he was his his mother had died, and, and Abraham sent his son to go get Uh, his wife for him and and, uh which is a really dangerous thing but how many of us know that our parents need to be involved in our spouse choosing yes that's an amen spot right there my wife and i have have told Alyssa that we could pick her spouse (laughs) and she would do we would do really good so if any guys are interested you got to come talk to me Genesis 24, verse 62, Now Isaac had come from Beer Lahai Roy, for he was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate, and as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebekah also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. So he took her veil and covered herself. And then the servant told Isaac all he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. You're going to say he took her into the tent and married her. What did they have in the tent? Did they have a priest in the tent waiting patiently for them to show up? So he could say, oh, God, marry this couple in the tent, blessing. You know, that's not what happened. He took her into the tent and married her by establishing a blood covenant of marriage through sexual intercourse. It's marriage at its simplest possible form. A commitment. A commitment on her end, a commitment on his end. The fact that she showed up, she saw her husband, she veiled herself. There's a a symbol of modesty and purity. There's so much stuff in here that I can't even teach it all right now. She gets off. and, and, And how about this? He's in the field meditating. How about that, folks? Before you get married, you best be doing some meditating. Make sure this is the right choice because there's only supposed to be one. She comes in the tent and they get married and they establish a blood covenant. Now, here's where people get uncomfortable. You say, blood covenant, what did they do? Did they, like, sacrifice a lamb? Separate it and step through together? No, that's not what they did. They had sexual intercourse. You see, how many of you here have ever heard of a hymen before? Raise your hand. Don't, don't lie. If you know what a hymen is, raise your hand. All my teenagers better know what a hymen is. Put your hands down. How many of you, how many of you have ever in your entire life Ever heard this? Is a slang term now, okay? This is a slang term. How many of you have ever heard of what a a, a cherry, a reference to a cherry before? Raise your hand. Now, when I teach this at some, some youth things, when I've taught these at youth things before, usually all the hands, most of the hands of the teenagers go up because it's such a common term to, to uh, minimize what God has established in you ladies. What He's placed in there is called a hymen, and it is on the inside of. of of a woman's genitalia and it's a small sack that inside of it has a small amount of blood and that sack is broken during uh, sexual intercourse for a virgin when the first time she has sexual intercourse. That is called a hymen. Doctors will tell you that there is no purpose for it. There's no reason for it. A person is not better off with it. They're not better off without it. It doesn't hurt when it's broken. It's not anything that they're going to be dangerous or scared of or whatever, whatnot, and so on and so forth. And churches and people have known about this for years and years and years and years and years. And what I'm telling you right now has never been taught that's supposed to be held for marriage when it can be broken one time. And the two become one flesh. And a spiritual work takes place within them. So that now there's a blood covenant that's established between the two, and God sees that as holy. See, when we start throwing our virginity away at 12 and 13 years old, like we're seeing today, that poor kid has no idea what they're throwing away. 1 Corinthians says we should not join ourselves with a prostitute. Let's just read it. I've got it here in my notes. 1 Corinthians 6:15 says, "Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body? For it is said the two will become one flesh, but he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. My friends, this morning, very simply, you say, well, well gee, Pastor Bob, a little a teenager's having sex. That, that's not prostitution. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. They say, well, how is that possible? A prostitute has money, has sex for money. And gain. A prostitute is somebody that will use their sexuality for gain for themselves. And you say, well, well, these kids, they're just out having sex. What are they doing for gain? Well, guys, I hate to tell you, they're not just madly in love with your masculinity. The fact is, is that they just want to be somebody to speak into their life and say, I love you. You look beautiful. And to treat them with a little bit of respect. That's all they want. So they think if I have sex with them because that's what I've been taught, then I'm going to receive that. And guys, don't act all cool and act like you're just, your goal is to just totally bless them with your manhood. I know there's nothing in it for you guys. So the truth of the matter is is, is, is sex before marriage is absolutely and completely and purely selfish. Every ounce of it. Every ounce of it. There's no commitment. And we're going to see that here in just a minute. We'll look at that a little further. So secondly, there's got to be, there's gotta be a blood covenant established. So, so, so fence one, it's got to be able to be sexuality that can be pro- procreated through, okay? Secondly, you've got to establish a blood covenant with it. Again, pornography, can you establish a blood covenant? Absolutely not. Uh, homosexuality, can you establish a blood covenant? Absolutely not. If you are living together, have you established a blood covenant? There's no commitment, there's no desire to live together. You have maybe have, have done the deed and, and, and you've dealt with this becoming one flesh thing. I had a young person... Oh, a young person. Nobody knows. Not a part of our church. Years ago, come into my office. Had seen me in the community, in the school, whatnot. Hadn't been to school for a few days because he was he was ready to kill himself. Because his girlfriend that he'd been dating for a while uh, thought she was pregnant with his kid and found out she was sleeping with about four or five other guys too. And and the kid's bawling in my office. And he says, every, every morning, I wake up thinking about her. At night, I think about her. When I'm sleeping, I dream about her. When I get up, when I go to bed, I'm thinking about her. He said, I can't stop. I, I don't want to eat. I don't want to live. I don't want to go to work. I don't want to do anything. He said, I just want to take a gun and blow my head off. And I looked him in the eye, and I said, listen, man. I said, you've believed a lie. The world has told you that there's no spiritual connection with sexuality whatsoever. And you have only been following through the mechanics but what you've done is, is you've joined yourself with somebody spiritually. And right now there's a divorce that's going on in your soul. All because we believe a lie. It was going to drive this kid to kill himself. Just because Hollywood and society says it's fun to go ahead and do it if it feels right. Go ahead and do it. Do what thou wilt. Go ahead, have a good time. Thirdly, this morning, and lastly, are you ready for some good stuff? Yes. Good grief. Thirdly, God did create uh, sex for continuing pleasure and a reminder of the covenant relationship. Can I get an amen in the house of God? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2. But since there's so much immorality, you got to love Paul, man. He said, just because it's, because of the world and the day and age you live in right now, since there's so much immorality, each man should have his own wife, hmm, hallelujah, <laughs> and each woman, her own husband, come on now, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. Can I get a great big amen in the house of God? Amen. Hey folks, don't be afraid. This is good. This is what God designed it for. Right. You say, why are you saying this? Because I had a kid come up to me one time and say, Pastor Bob, I was told, I was told that uh, a person cannot have sex unless they're just procreating. That's the only reason. Any other way is, is, is sin. I said, I got some good news for you. <laughs> <laughs> Verse four, the wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. Men, can I get an amen? amen. Come on, you guys got to play with me a little bit here. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. And she says, you better fix that thing up, because it's looking kind of nasty nowadays. (laughs) And do not deprive each other, except by mutual consent, and for a time. I love Paul. Don't deprive each other unless you've got consent. Sweetheart, I'm going to deprive you for the next four days. (laughs) I'm going to seek the Lord. So that you may devote yourselves to prayer, then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, this is important, folks, because... It is important for the the, the Christian couple to have a great and tremendous sex life. I'm serious, man. The enemy has taken something that God has created and distorted it in the world. I'm going to be late. Just forget it. Don't even bother looking at the clock. It's going to be late. The world has taken what God has designed and they've misused it and they say, oh, look how great we are at this. Look at all the products we can put out. Look at this and look at this. And I can tell you, if there is a couple that is married, that serves Christ, that understands the rest of this that I'm getting ready to share with you, you are going to have the greatest marriage because you're going to understand the spiritual connection of what happens every time you celebrate that covenant together. You know why? Because it points to Jesus Christ. You start talking about covenants and blood covenants, and you start talking about marriage, and you start explaining that. And we see where Paul even says that this is, I'm, I'm talking about Christ in the church when I'm talking about marriage, folks. When we start talking about the two becoming one flesh, I can't help but think about the Holy Spirit uh, leaving the temple and coming to dwell inside man when we surrender our lives to Christ. I can't help but think of Him being my helper, my guide, and I can't help but think about my beautiful wife and say, you know what? This is the same thing, darling. Jesus Christ designed it. God designed it. It is good. And don't ever let the enemy come in and steal what God has decided to bless you with. Scripture also says to allow it to to keep the marriage bed holy and pure. Don't bring a bunch of nonsense baloney in there to the covenant of God and what you're celebrating together. There have been too many men that said, you know what, I think I'm going to spice up our, our sex life with a little bit of pornography and destroy their marriage. Keep it pure. Keep it holy. And if, you miss anything, if you've missed everything else, the next 10 minutes, please, you don't want to miss this. We have some other blood covenants in Scripture that we talk about. And again, Travis, because of time, I'm not going to do all these Scriptures, but um, I'll just run through them real quick with, with Noah. We all know Noah was on the boat. He's on the ark. He gets off. The water recedes. He, kills, he takes one of the clean animals, kills it and sacrifices it to God, and then all of a sudden, you know, God says, you know what, I'm going to establish, establish this covenant with you, we know what it is, I'm not going to flood the earth ever again, I'm not going to destroy it with water, and he says, you know what, I need to give you a reminder, <sighs> Roy G. Biv, rainbow in the sky, <laughs> throws a rainbow up, and he says, you know what, No, as long as you see this rainbow, you see this, it'll be a reminder to you, every day, every time you see it, it'll remind you that I'm not going to destroy, destroy the earth, I'm not going to do it again, So it was a comfort, it was a reminder, it was a blessing. How many of you to this day, when you see a rainbow, don't go, oh, it's beautiful. (laughs) Even if it's a half, you don't care. It's like, look. Another blood covenant, Abraham. (laughs) Abraham uh, established a blood covenant with God, and God says, you know what, I need to give you a reminder. I've got to give you a reminder so that you will remember that you're set apart and you're not like everybody else. I want you to circumcise yourself and your whole family. (laughs) Okay. Ishmael was a teenager. He's like 13 years old. Tell me that wouldn't mess you up for the rest of your life. Dad, come in. What, Dad? Hey, I need to circumcise you. What's that mean? Yeah! Yeah! That nobody ever forgot, and the Jews to this day haven't forgot it. Nobody forgot it. Abraham could not even go to the restroom without thinking to himself, "I am not like everybody else." <laughs> it was a reminder, God telling him, "Abraham, you are not like everybody else. You are mine. We have established a covenant." It's true. What about Christ? What about the Passover? Think about the Passover. The Jews are in bondage 400 years in Egypt. And God says, you know, I'm going to send them out. And Moses said, let my people go. And a lot of bad stuff happens. We all know about that. And then they said, God says, slay a lamb, put the blood on the door. And the death angel will pass through. And, and he, he delivers them. And they're begging him to leave. And they're giving him gold and everything else. And God says, you know, I need to give you a reminder of this covenant. What can I do for you? I know we'll celebrate it once a year, a Passover, where all you do is eat unleavened bread and and so on and so forth. And we understand the Passover took place, and every year it's supposed to be celebrated, so on and so forth. So they had a reminder that they would sit down, and they would look back, and they would celebrate, and they would would be joyful, and they would have memories and teaching and telling each other this is what happened. This is the covenant that we'd established. Think about Jesus on the cross. He established a blood covenant on our behalf, a covenant that you and I are not good enough to establish. He established it with God on our behalf. And so he gave us a reminder. And we just did it a couple weeks ago. We took communion. And we say, he says, if you eat this bread, do this, as all if you eat this bread in remembrance of me. And you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. As all if you eat this bread and drink this cup, you, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's a remembrance and a reminder of that covenant. These are all beautiful reminders that are also spiritual things. God has established married couples and young people, I want you to grab this too because someday when you are married, he's established your sex life in your marriage to be a reminder of your wedding day and of the covenant that God established between the two of you when the two became one flesh. But here is where the sin part comes into all of it. There's also regulations For all of these reminders, with the exception of the ark thing. Let's look at them real quick. Travis, I'm going to use these verses. Circumcision in Genesis 17, 14 says this. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. This is God. Speaking to Abraham, in other words, saying, if any man in your house, if Ishmael or anyone else in your house says, I don't want to be circumcised, he's to be thrown out and cast out, you say, why? Because, well, the attitude is this, Father Abraham, I love you, I love your wealth, I love the blessings of God, I love, you know, I understand that the Messiah is going to come to your lineage, I want to be part of your kingdom, and all this stuff, and it's all really cool, I want the good things that you have, but I am not going to do that whole commitment thing. You forget that. And God said, there's not room with that with my holy covenant. You're either in or you're out. And told him to get out. Look, look here, another one in the Passover. Exodus twelve forty three. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, these are the regulations for the Passover. No foreigner is to eat of it. Why? Because a foreigner is going to come in from their own land. They're going to show up for the week of partying and they want to celebrate. They want to sing the songs. They want to dance the dances. They want to eat the food. They want to spend the seven days of celebration. But they don't want to be a part of the covenant. They want want all the fun, but they don't want to give the commitment. You see where I'm going with this? 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven 27, the, in communion, in the reminder of the covenant that Christ established on the cross, verse 27, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. And I used to be really mean and harsh. If Amber had come, uh, I used to be really think God was really mean and harsh. Because he would say, really, just because I drink a cup of juice and I I eat a little bit of bread and I'm not a Christian, I'm sinning against God? That doesn't make sense. Well, it's because it's a reminder of the covenant. And you can't celebrate something that you're not a part of. You've got to be a part of the covenant before you can celebrate it. When it comes to sex, our third fence that you cannot cross. Is you cannot seek pleasure sexually outside of a covenant relationship. You see, my friends, our culture is, is steeped and stuck in the pleasure side of sex, and they ignore the covenant. And God loves the covenant, and people are enjoying the pleasure, and they've abused and perverted it, and God's disgusted by it because it's sin. You got all this because 49% of people think it's okay to live together? Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm sickened by that. 49% of Christians think that this is what I just taught is baloney. 49% of people think that what I just taught is nonsense and they'll rationalize it away and do it their own way and in the end they're going to face death, the second death. You cannot celebrate a covenant of marriage outside a covenant of marriage. You cannot have sex outside of a covenant of marriage and think that God's going to say, oh, it's okay, God bless you. It's sin. Those three fences, procreation, covenant of marriage, and celebration of that covenant. You've got to stay inside of those. If you go outside of those, you're sinning against God. And you're making a way for yourself. Oh, but Pastor Bob, God's so restrictive. There's so much more I'd love to preach and I just can't do it today. There's not time. And I'm not going to do it for the next five weeks, but maybe someday we'll cover some more of this stuff. But does that make sense to you this morning? Does that at all resound with you at all? If you can't procreate with what you're doing, again, homosexuality basically is pleasure without a covenant. It's outside of, can you have pleasure with homosexuality? Yeah, I guess you can have sexual pleasure, but you're outside of two of the fences of God. It's an obvious wrong. Why are there churches trying to pass it as okay? You stand with me this morning. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm simply here in just a minute. I'm simply here just going to open the altars here in just a minute. I, I had a friend that said, you got to call people out. you got to make them come up. And you've got to make them confess for, before people their hidden sin or else they'll remain in it. And then that person had a moral failure. Listen, what I'm going to do is I'm going to open these altars up. And if God has struck a chord in your heart, if you just want to seek God, listen, if somebody comes to these altars, it doesn't mean they're steeped in sexual sin, okay? But scripture says that we should not associate ourselves ourselves with people that say they're believers and still continue in sexual immorality. Why? Because it spreads like a disease. When standards are lowered, it spreads like a disease because it's the easiest way to go. My friends, some of you need to cut off some relationships. Some teenagers need to cut off some relationships. Some men, and apparently 45% of women need to get the computer out of a private room and get it in the living room where people can see what you're looking at. Men, listen, I I have been so addicted to pornography. I'm even cautious even saying this in front of my parents because I know it breaks their heart. I'm delivered. Thank God I'm delivered. But six years old, first time I put my eyes on a pornographic magazine and for years it just began to develop my mentality and attitude toward women there's a way that seems right I'm telling you there's deliverance men and my office door is open and I will not judge you I will find you help I will get resources in your hands. I'll hold you accountable. We'll have men that will help hold you accountable. And ladies, let me just say this while we're at it, and I'm closing things. Some of you need to cut off some of your your emotional affair relationships you got. You need to turn back to your husbands. If you're going out somewhere else and you're getting some kind of pleasurable uh, enhancing ooey-gooey's whatever in your life from some other guy, you maybe have not done the deed, but according to scripture, if we so much as look at a woman in lust or a woman looking at a man in lust, you've already committed adultery with them in your heart. I say this to you in love today. I am not perfect. I have never been perfect. And I will never proclaim as though I am perfect. But I can tell you that since this word has come to me a couple years ago, I'm just a different person in light of all of it. And I'm opening these altars up for every individual that wants to come. As she begins to sing, as Amber begins to sing, I just encourage you to come and cry out to God and allow Him to take this word and to change your life with it and for the Spirit to lead you in what you need to do in response. Amen. Please come.